0: Today I want to talk to you about the ending of the Beatitudes, which is kind of the ending of Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this, uh, we spent we spent about 12 weeks on this, about a year and a half ago. Kind of a bigger overview of each of the Beatitudes, you can do that. Um, we've gone through very quickly because we're moving on to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount starting next week. Um, And that's going to take us about another couple of months in order to get through all of that. I'm super excited about it because this is Jesus' kind of his beginning sermon. As he's coming out of the desert, he's been tempted, he's been baptized, uh, and now he delivers kind of his keynote address to everyone. Uh, And most everything else he's going to teach, he's going to refer back to either the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Mount helps us understand everything else he's going to be talking about. Um, and I appreciate Heath reading our scripture today. Uh, we're going to be talking about a tough subject, and it's tough for a couple of reasons today. We, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. If you want to turn there, if you want to follow on U version, you can follow along on U version. Um, and we are looking at the last of the beatitudes. It's about persecution, um, and uh, there's a number of reasons that this was a hard one to talk about, um, but we'll jump into that in just a minute. If you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. This is the ending of the Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you you pray with me father god i thank you for this opportunity to worship Uh, i thank you for the opportunity to study your word in peace Uh, father i thank you for all those that are here that we call friends and family And Father, I pray for those who are still struggling with COVID or other things that are going around, um, that you would make them well and keep those who are well, keep them well. I thank you for your grace and the peace that you give us through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. So what is Jesus talking about? When we talk about persecution, uh, we're not always the best ones to talk about persecution, are we? Uh, most of us don't deal with any substantive persecution within our lives. Perhaps we have at some point, but we are really good at taking something that's not persecution and making it persecution. Uh, they, I went to Starbucks and they did not have my favorite flavor, is not persecution. <laughs> right? That is not persecution. Um, we joke around sometimes. Sometimes our guitarists get excited, although I haven't seen it in a while. Um, so either they're changing their strings more often, or it just hasn't happened, or maybe there is some kind of spiritual warfare going on. But they would joke about popping a string in and wor- and worship, and, oh, it was you know spiritual warfare. Um, not really. Not really spiritual warfare. Uh, frustrating, um, but not spiritual warfare. Uh, and so when we talk about persecution, we have to understand what is Jesus talking about, and what is he talking about here. We have to also understand Jesus is not talking about just basic hardship and suffering within the world, because that's something everyone experiences. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not; you are going to experience suffering and hardship in the world because we live in a broken world. When we look through what he says in Matthew chapter five, verses ten through twelve, this is what he says: This is what persecution is. Number one, when others revile you. Now, I don't use the word "revile" in normal language. Does anyone else? I mean, did anyone use this word this week? If you ha- did. You deserve something because you are a master of the English language much more than I am. But we don't use this word. Most of us don't know what revile means. It sounds bad. I mean, it sounds like something you wouldn't want to have happen to you. But it it is literally to be criticized in an abusive way. And the word revile can mean anything. And you can be reviled for anything. But the point is is that um, we are reviled for righteousness' sake. We are reviled for following Jesus. The second one is this. When others persecute you, and this can be physical, this can be emotional, uh, this can be verbally, uh, there are any number, any in any way that someone verbally, emotionally, or physically wants to harm you um, because of your faith, or because you know Jesus, or you're trying to live out this faith, um, then that's what Jesus is talking about, persecution, which we see over and over and over from the apostles, especially the apostles. Um, as they most all, um, all but one, met their death early as a result of persecution. And a third one um, is just when people say bad things about you. When others utter all kinds of evil against you is the third thing that Jesus says um, in verse 11 about what it means to be persecuted. This can mean trying to hurt your reputation. This can mean um, just speaking evil of you. If you know anyone who gaslights, this can be someone who gaslights you like they They set you up and then you say something and it's taken out of context and then it's spread around the office or it's stuck in an email or a text thread or whatever. Um, When people say anything negative about you because of what you're doing in your walk with Christ. They may try to hurt your reputation. They may accuse you of things you did not do. They may put words in your mouth. Um, Sometimes this even means someone constantly assuming the worst about you. You ever just say something and you didn't mean it the way that it came out, that it gets grabbed onto and presented in the worst possible way? That could be people uttering all kinds of evil against you. In Luke chapter 6, Luke records this blessing like this. He says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And so he adds a fourth. Luke adds a fourth, and when and when others exclude you. Now, as we walk into this, I want us to be very open and honest about where we are as a people, where we are as a church where we are as Christians in this changing world. Because the conversation of persecution needs to be centered around persecution, not what we want to call persecution, but what is actual persecution. And sometimes to be honest and admit that some of the worst persecutors in the history of the world have been has been the church. And so we have to be careful when we enter into this conversation, we do not have this lullaby effect and we go, oh yeah, I'm just persecuted. Sometimes we're the persecutors. And if we're not honest about that fact, we will miss what Jesus is saying. And one of the things I wrote about in our blog this week is that these blessings were not just an announcement of what you need to do to get a blessing. These were announcements of the people who are already blessed because this is what their experience is. So when we talk about um, being poor in spirit, he's not saying okay uh the way mark's talking he doesn't seem poor in spirit mark needs to go try to be more poor in spirit that's not what jesus is saying with the beatitudes he's saying those who are already poor in spirit who feel they have no founding no they have no status they have no place that people you know put them on a pedestal those people are already blessed which is so counterintuitive to the way we live our lives and the way the culture works Because we feel that being on a pedestal is a blessing, and what most of us will try to do is to find that in whatever way we can, either in our earning, or in where we live, or in the car we drive, or in the status we have, or in the way people view us. We seek those things in which others look at us and go, Wow, those people are so much better than me. And most people who are actually trying to portray that image, do not actually feel better than anyone inside, and that's one of the reasons they pretend. So I drive this nice car so you think I'm better than you, but I deep inside know that I'm not. In fact, I'm probably worse than you. It's amazing how fractured our world is. It's amazing how fractured our psyche is. And when we understand these things, this is why Jesus would constantly say things like, you have heard it said, but I say. Or he would say, if you're gonna, you know, if you have ears to hear, this is important. But the assumption is that there are a lot of people that aren't gonna listen. For those that hear, this is important. Jesus is not saying also that we are going out to be persecuted. I do not like anyone to think negatively of me. Does anyone really enjoy that? Don't raise your hand. If you do, come see me after. I need to talk. I don't enjoy people thinking negative of me. I don't want to seek out persecution. Jesus is not giving us a to-do list to say, you know what, you have, you have too many friends. You have too many friends and not enough people that hate you, and you're not a good Christian because you have too many friends. So when we read these Beatitudes, we have to read them within the Spirit. Of them. And what he's saying is, if you have found something that others will revile you and exclude you and harm you emotionally and physically and verbally, you are blessed. But even that understanding of the Beatitudes is not comforting, is it? Because it doesn't feel blessed. <laughs> that doesn't. I, if you're excluding me, I don't feel blessed. If you're saying all kinds of evil about me, I don't feel blessed. And this is why when we come to the words of Jesus especially, but all of Scripture, we have to come with an expectation that there's more here to the story than I might be comfortable with. There's more here going on than I may even be willing to accept in my own life and in my own faith. And we have to deal with it and we have to wrap our minds around it and we have to struggle with it and we have to go to God with it and we have to figure it out. This is why we work out our salvation. We are working this stuff out because there's some of this stuff I just don't like. This is what persecution is. But there's a condition for this to be persecution and the condition is that this is for righteousness' sake or on account of following Jesus. These are the conditions that require to be this state of persecution that Jesus is talking about. Now, do you remember what we talked about last week on what it means to be righteous? We, we tend to read that in our Western mindset of we do the right things. And certainly there is a hint of that in the idea of righteousness, but there's also a hint of we do right by others. Like, my friends, I'm going to do right by them. I'm not going to take advantage of them. I'm not going to try to hurt them. I'm not going to say bad things about that. I want to do right by them. Or if I've wronged them, I want to make it right. You know, we have the ability to do right by others and to do right by God. And ultimately, as Christians, as followers, this is the problem that the world has with us. Is they disagree with us on what it means to do right by others. And Jesus is saying, if you're really trying to do right by others and you're really trying to do right by God... The world is not going to be okay with that. The world is not going to be okay with you doing that. Now, throughout the years following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the church begins to grow. And so when we look back, and kind of when did persecution begin? It began very early on. Um, The apostles began being martyred very early on. But it expanded exponentially as the church exponentially grew. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not just about how to live your best life. The Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about this supernatural thing that's going on all around us that we get to be a part of. In 64 AD, you've probably heard of Nero playing his violin as Rome Burned. And what happened in this situation is Rome was divided into 14 quarters. And you would live in a different quarter, and different people, different ethnicities, different religions, different economic statuses would live in different quarters. And a fire started in Rome. There were 14 quarters in Rome, and a fire started and burned all but four. So 10 of the 14 quarters of Rome burned down. All the evidence points to the emperor Nero that he's the one who burned him down because Nero wanted to start over, he wanted to build his own city, he wanted to have his own buildings, his own roads, he wanted his own stamp on it, and he wanted it all new and pretty and the way he likes them. And so all the evidence pointed to him, and so he had to get the heat off of him. Because even if you're an emperor, it doesn't look good when you burn down most of your own city, <laughs> your own capital city. Time, we have a community of both Jews and Christians who were actually pretty intertwined. We see later that there's kind of this separation between Christianity and Judaism. But at this time, they're still fairly intertwined, and they would live together, and they would do life together. And just so happens that one of the parts of the city that caught on fire was very near a place where the Jews and the Christians lived. And another quarter, one of the four quarters that didn't burn, also just happened to be one of the areas of town where the Jews and the Christians lived. So Nero had a plan. And began to say it was the Jews. But the problem with the Jews is that there were way more Jews than there were Christians. And he could not have them rising up against him. And so he went after the Christians. Now I've mentioned... The historian Tacitus before, Tacitus is one of these guys who is not a believer in Jesus. In fact, he doesn't have any sympathy for Christians whatsoever, but he writes about Jesus and he writes about the growth of Christianity, um, which is one of the reasons that we believe that Jesus is real. We believe it because we've had an experience with him, but we historically believe it because even people who didn't like Jesus said, yeah, this guy was something else. This guy was really something else. Tacitus wrote this about this period of the growth of persecution. He said, consequently, to get rid of the report that, was that Nero destroyed Rome, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. Now we're talking about Christians here. They were hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, which is Christ in Latin, for whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme... ...at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. He's talking literally about Jesus. These Christians followed Jesus, who met his end with Pontius Pilate. And the most mischievous superstition, that Jesus rose from the dead, thus checked for the moment, again, broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, Jerusalem, but even in Rome in other words, Christianity is spreading like crazy in Judea and in Rome. I mean it's spreading like crazy and the belief that this Jesus who was killed by Pontius Pilate, had actually risen from the dead where where all things hit it, talking again about Rome let me back up the first the first source of evil in Judea but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted. Not so much of the crime of firing the city. This is really important. Not so much for firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Catch that? Nero said the Christians burned the city, they should be held responsible and they should be punished. And their punishment should be uh, the same as the crime, which was burned alive. But what Tacitus says, the historian, is that they weren't actually killed for burning the city. They were killed for hating mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, They were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. This is the birth of really widespread persecution against Christians. It's not that it hasn't happened up until this point, but this is where it goes nuts. And it's going to go nuts for another 300 years until another guy by the name of Constantine comes on the scene and makes christianity legal not a that you should be killed over and then as we've talked before still becomes problematic because he then weaves christianity in with the power structures of the day which is why we still struggle with this. christians trying to be in the power structures. he said the power structures are the problem What he's saying here is that Christians were killed not because they burned the city, even though that was the claim. He's saying they were killed because they were an abomination and because they hated mankind. Now, why in the world would they say that Christians hated mankind? Now, if we believe Jesus, Jesus says, if you follow me, then there's two things really that you're going to do. And everything else you're going to do is going to be summed up by these two things. And the first one is is that you're going to love God. And the second one is that you're going to love people. And so we read those teachings of Jesus and we go, why in the world would anyone say that they were an abomination or they hated mankind because the very epitome of what they were supposed to be was to be love in a broken world. So when we dive into what persecution, we have to dive into a longer history and a longer story of what does all this mean and what does this mean for us. But before we do that, let me just say what persecution isn't. Persecution isn't consequences for poor choices and bad behavior. And a lot of times we we think it we think it is. Found a couple of memes. I love memes. Some of you love memes. Nobody loves memes as much as Paul loves memes, but uh especially puns. I my life, and you all do know who that is, right? Like does anyone under um, you know, twenty know who this is? Scooby Doo? Who's been sabotaging my life? Go back. Go back. Who's been sabotaging my life? Oh, it's me. I've been doing it. I've been sabotaging my own life. Or the next one. So you don't have to... Sometimes it's just our own decisions. right? It's just our own choices. Jesus is not saying if you experience hardship, you are being persecuted for my sake. Because sometimes we, we bring the hardship on ourselves. If we have to always buy the latest thing and we're broke. You're not broke for Jesus. You're broke because you won't stop spending money on stuff. Right? to understand as we come through this is that the Scriptures are very clear. There is a way of following Jesus, and then there's a way of saying you follow Jesus, but it's not following Jesus. One of the ways we we see this is in 1 Peter chapter 4. And Peter says this, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In other words, uh, behave well. And don't assume that the persecution you experience in your life is of any other fault other than your own. If you have erased that as the as the fault, maybe it is persecution. And I think back about where we are as the church. I, I think many of you know I spend a lot of time with other pastors, and we work um, trying not just to bring them together, but increasingly... Uh, I spend a lot of time listening just to their brokenness and their struggles through this time. And there's a number of reasons why pastors are struggling right now. One of the reasons certainly is the pandemic. Our churches are looking different. Um, Omicron comes through and you know we don't have a lot of people that are attending in person. And, and that's a hard. That's hard when your thing is people. And you feel like there's not a lot of people. That's hard, and a lot of guys are dealing with that. But we're also dealing with some stress because on a, almost a daily basis, we, we see pastors acting badly. Just acting badly in the world. It's happening. I mean, we have pastors in our community here in Chattanooga acting badly right now. And it's affecting a lot of people. One of the, we, we, we can't talk about persecution as if we are victims, if we at times are victimizers. And this is something the church has resisted for a very long time, talking about the mistakes we've made and the way we've victimized people. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just turn on the news. Somehow I was telling some friends, somehow I've gotten on a Twitter thread One of my Twitter accounts is on a Twitter thread where I somehow I now get every announcement of every uh, acting badly. (laughs) It's so depressing. Because this is not Jesus. This is not the gospel. This is not the church. And yet this is the way the world sees us. Part of the problems the church is feeling, the assumptions people make about you because you are a follower of Jesus are being made because some people acted badly, nothing less. But yet they have taken that and have placed it on you. We're going to be dealing with this for decades. This is not we we can't preach a sermon and make this go away. Our reputation has been tarnished by bad behavior among those who call themselves Christians. Now this does not mean we as Christians are just we have to now be go per, be perfect. Scripture is very clear. The point of following Jesus is not that we are perfect. The point is that we are forgiven. But we've got to work on the ways in which we've made bad decisions and we've made poor choices and we have hurt the cause of Christ as a result from it. I find in my own life I don't, I'm not persecuted. But I'm regularly put in the same camp as these people that do terrible things. We have our friends in Turkey and they're walking to church wondering if they're going to live through their worship service. That's persecution, right? Or China. That's persecution. Like you're going to lose your job because you've been accused of something you didn't do, that's persecution. When you've tried to love people and they've rejected you, and I don't mean the kind of love like you just get to define your kind of love. I mean the kind that Jesus defines and you're rejected because of it. That is persecution. I can't say that I've ever experienced that. I don't wake up in the morning and think that's going to happen. And I don't come to church wondering if we're all going to you know, die in worship service. But that, Fortunately, we live in a place where that kind of persecution generally doesn't happen. Some people do. And they still go. Now why do they do that? Why not just stay home? I think one of the reasons that these early Christians were considered as people who hated mankind and were an abomination was not because they wanted to love people. For them, the persecution that came was because their love said, you're broken, but Jesus has a way for you. There was a morality that Christians followed, and people hated it. There was. And Jesus himself was hated, not because he loved people. He was hated because he says, my kingdom's not of this world. He was hated, if you go back and you read, when was the first time somebody said, you know what, we need to get rid of this Jesus? Do you remember when that event was? Does anybody Remember? It was when he wrote, when Lazarus was in the grave and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And it says that the scribes and the Pharisees got together and said, we've got to get rid of this guy. He's too powerful for us. Jesus threatened the structures of power in his time and the structures of power, which were the religious leaders, decided we've got to get rid of him. Even the Roman structures of power say, we see, we've seen no fault in this guy. No fault in him. But even they were afraid of the Jews. <laughs> our, defi- our definition of love is, is different. And let me just say, in, in, my, in my, myself as a pastor, uh, I struggle with my definition of love every single day. There are so many times that I, you know, I, I don't know how many Enneagram fans we have in here. I'm an Enneagram 1 with a, with a 9 wing. Does anybody know what that means? somebody in here familiar with that language that means I'm an incredibly conflicted person because a one wants to change the world sees the brokenness in the world and this is why I talk about all this stuff you are like, mark could you just talk about the good things like I'm going to in a minute hang in there but my mind goes to the broken things but I'm a wing nine and a wing nine is a peacemaker like I want everybody to get along you ever tried to fix broken things with everybody getting along it's like impossible. I'm always conflicted. always messed up. I'm always struggling with what does it look like to love the way Jesus loved. Because so many times He would love be like, Jesus, I'm not sure I, sure I would have done that. It just shows how much I have to learn. So if we find ourselves in this position of saying, well, what does it really look like to follow you? If this kind of following you, it feels like this is good for everybody, and yet, they view us as hating mankind and deserving of death because we're a problem. Well, let me just say, to, to wrap up the story of Nero, part of the problem was it was growing so fast, Nero was afraid he was going to lose power. This is, this is typically what happens when someone threatens the person in charge, the person in charge makes the person go away that's threatening And in Rome, this is what was happening. They were growing so quickly, and they were growing with a good reputation, and it threatened Nero. And Nero said, "They've got to go." But if we're going to deal with this with our lives, because Nero's not here, we've got our own problems, but Nero's not one of them. If you're going to follow Jesus, the question isn't if if uh, persecution is going to happen. But what are you going to do when it does? And I want to i want to give you just a couple of questions. This is the wrestling part. I want to give you questions, not give you answers. Question number one, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? People talk poorly of you. People don't want to hire you. People utter all kinds of thing, evil things about you. People exclude you. But where are we going to go? This was the question that the disciples were posed with, and that was their answer. Where are we going to go? We read that in John chapter 6, verse 66. After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. Talking about Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Where am I going to go? This is again that, that idea that Jesus is the pearl of great price. He is that thing that I, I sell everything I have so I can buy have this one thing. Interestingly, it's said about the Jews and the Christians, but about the Christians specifically in Rome at that time, that the only thing they had in their, in their ownership were baskets and straw. That's all they had. Like they were not wealthy. They were a threat. They were changing the world by loving others the way Jesus loves. Where are we going to go? I've got the pearl. You tell me, I, I'm supposed to give up the pearl to get something less than that? Where am I going to go? And that's a question every one of us has to ask when we are really threatened within our faith. Where are we? Where would we go? If people say, you know, I, and I hear this, I, I hear this all the time. My pastors are all correct. It would be way easier for me not to be a pastor. But where am I going to go? Where where am I going to go? I've I've seen Jesus. I've walked with him. I have the pearl. Where am I going to go? second question is this. How do we ignore what we have seen and heard? Which assumes we have seen and heard something spectacular. We read about this in Acts chapter 4. Disciples are being told you're going to shut up about Jesus or we're going to do away with you. Um, We're going to let you go if you'll just keep all this to yourself. But you keep talking about this and we're going to have a problem. And this is how the story unfolds. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened, which was they were performing miracles. Like, we can't argue with this. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day. I said, you know... Faith is what it is because when I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 15 years old, it was the most real thing I'd ever experienced in my life, and I've not experienced anything more real than that moment since. I came to the conclusion that I needed Jesus, and Jesus was real, and Jesus was with me, and He was speaking. You know, I've referenced a couple of times now the, um, the, the disciples who were walking, and Jesus has risen from the dead, but they hadn't gotten the news yet. And he comes walking up next to them and they start talking and they don't even recognize him until later they go eat dinner together and and then Jesus reveals who he was and disappears. Remember what they said? Did our hearts not burn within us when he was speaking? I think that's what Peter and John are saying here. Our hearts burn within us because we have and heard things, we can't stop. And if you're going to do away with us, do away with us. We can't, we can't stop. You have to wrestle with those questions. You guys in school are going to wrestle in school because in school Christianity is not cool. for a bunch of old people. But I remember when I was 14 years old, I was not happy with life. I was not happy with what my friends wanted me to do to be their friend. I, I, it felt very empty. When I found Jesus, I felt very full. But it's hard when you're a student. Hard when you're in school. What have you seen and heard? Jesus makes these incredible claims. If you want to see, I'll show you. If you want to hear, I'll tell you. You just have to ask, and I will let you experience. All right, those are the two questions. And let me give you three suggestions. Number one, for the church that is truly persecuted, let me encourage you to gather. To Gather. One of the things we're supposed to do when we come in the room and we grab coffee or we're talking or we call each other or we get into a group during the week or whatever, one of the things we're supposed to do is encourage one another, especially in the midst of hardship and persecution. We're supposed to build each other up, bear each other's burdens. That's part of why the body comes together. And even though we're still pretty separated from COVID for now, that, that is, we are getting to the end. I don't know, I'm, I, I'm not smart enough to say when the end is, but we, it seems we're getting to the end. And when we get to the end, we've had two plus years of being really alone by ourselves. Doing our thing. Working from home. Doing church from home. Not going out and doing other things. And some have, have they're, they're done with that. Like, we're doing everything. We're going everywhere. And they're making up for lost time. And so they're so busy doing all those things. Just like Scripture tells so many of those early churches, we're in such oh danger of forgetting our first love. That's really the, the whole the revelation. If you look, to John's letters to the churches in Revelation, he says, the thing I hold against you is you have forgotten your first love. We can't, in the midst of a pandemic, lose our first love out of a lot of busyness. And i got to be honest, there's some really good shows on Netflix, and we were subscribed to way more streaming services than we should. I mean, we've been, Jonathan and I have been watching Boba Fett. I don't know if you're watching Boba Fett, but you all be watching Boba Fett. You know, it's, I, I could literally get up in the morning and stream something new every day for the rest of my life. I could do that, and I love entertainment. But when I give all my heart and all my soul and all my time to entertainment, I've forgotten my first love. We're, we have to have a moment where we come back and we say gathering is important. I do believe we have to recognize that some things have changed in the world. Online church is something we've before the pandemic, but it became way more important during the pandemic. And I've struggled back and forth with what do we do with this because our gathering is so important, building relationships, loving each other, helping each other, listening to each other. I mean, Scripture says we're even supposed to be confessing our sins to each other. That's a fun time, Really? But when you have relationships that you can confess your sins to somebody and they still love you and you're still their friend, I'm just telling you, there's no better friend than that. It's amazing what happens when people actually live out the words of Christ. Oh my goodness, it's so good. I've gone back and forth that we just kill the live stream when this is all over because you know what? You need to be in person because you just can't get it all online. But the reality is is there are all kinds of things that online church does for people who are sick or hurt or can't get out or what we have increasingly find are questioning, they're not going to walk into a church. You know, when we started this church, our goal was not to have the classic structure of a church so that when people walked in, if they were resistant to the classic structure of the church, that their guard would be down and maybe they would experience Jesus in a non-traditional environment. And some of that line of thinking is going to have to move towards continued online stuff here. One of the things we're working on is truly developing a type of an online campus, and I'm going to need some of your help for this. What's amazing is the, the kinds of conversations I have by text versus the kinds of conversations I have in person. Have you all noticed there's a difference all the times in those conversations? I mean, sometimes I got to be honest. Sometimes they're really short, like, "Hey, how's your day going today?" Okay, <laughs> so you parents know what that's like, right? hey, how did it go today? Fine. I mean, that's all you get, right? But then it's an an amazing thing when people begin to open up because they'll open up behind a keyboard more so than they will right in front of your face. They'll ask questions and talk about stuff that they won't talk about in person. One of the fundamentals of having an engaging online presence is not just, hey, we're putting our stuff out there. Like it, share it, look at it, great. But it is the ability to communicate with people in a way that we don't normally communicate with people. So one of the things, there's there's some critical volunteers that we are in great need of. One is is our children's ministry. And that's in large part because a lot of our volunteers have just gotten sick over the weeks. But in this area is going to be people who are willing, when we have an online service, to just chat with people and talk with them. We're we're using a platform that allows you to even have private conversations away from the main chat space. It completely ties in with what we're doing with YouVersion. You can read scripture there. You can leave prayer requests there. But it takes someone who's willing to get on a keyboard and listen and say hello and engage with people. And it's amazing, even though like in here, if you all started sharing prayer requests in the middle of a sermon, that would be really weird, wouldn't it? But that's the way we interact on video, online. Like, we do multiple things at the same time. I don't know if that's something that you might be interested in, but gathering online in a different way. Did you know that most of the time when I speak to guests, they looked at us, they watched us online before they showed up in person? Did you know that? How can we engage better? Anyways, gathering is important. I personally believe gathering in person is is better. For some things, maybe most things. But I see a huge opportunity here for us to use technology to reach people who, quite honestly, are a little afraid of us. Because some of us, a lot of us, have some really bad reputations in the community right now. I don't mean us like you in the room, like I know something about you. I mean the church in general. All right, gather. Second thing, and I think this is why Paul is telling um, the people he's working with, focus on what is good because you can very easily focus on what is not. Oh, I was going to read Hebrews 10 for gather. Let me go back to that, Stephanie. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised us is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's that. We come together, we help, we encourage, we build each other up. If the world's trying to Tear you down or persecute you, we can, you can come here and this is a safe place. No matter who you, are, you look like, we can build you up, we can encourage, we can love you. You're important to us, so that you can still go back out into the world even when the world rejects you. Um, verse 25 says, "Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing." Focus on what is good. Paul says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is a way of life that leads to life. I remember every bad thing. There will be a hundred good things happening in the day. I'm a one. I remember every bad thing. There may have been two. Then I'm going to remember those two things. I'm going to think about them. I'm probably going to dream about them. And so this has been a lifesaver for me to focus on what is good, to remember what is good. Deidre has been so, she is so good um, for me in this regard. And when she begins saying, you know what, you need to stop thinking about the negative stuff, look at all this good stuff that's going on. And that is so positive for me. And my guess is for most of the people in the room, that would be positive for you as well. We gather with friends and family, we have the same hope, we can encourage each other. We can help each other as we grow. We can look into each other and find out what are the things that you are doing so well rather than what we are, are known for, which is saying what you're doing wrong. How can we encourage and build each other up? And then I would say the third suggestion I would make as we go through this is just to continue to share what is true. And some of the things that are true, God is still good. God is still love. Jesus is still saving people. Jesus is coming back. There is a pearl of great price, and it is not the American dream. There is something that is available for all of us. Love is still the better way. Not shame, not judgment, not I'm better than you, not how can you give me what I want. Love is still the better way. And we are still, as he thread earlier, we are still on a journey to become more like Christ. These are good things. There are moments that you need to have with Jesus in your time of prayer in which you hear Jesus say to you in some way or the other, well done. You're growing. You're making progress. If you normally um, get angry and you don't get angry, well done. If you normally just think about your own needs, but now you're thinking about somebody else's needs, well done. If you normally use all your resources for yourself and and you're you're generous for someone in need, well done. If you missed your scripture reading and all you can think about is God is not going to bless me because I'm now behind on my reading plan. You've got to ignore that voice. You've got to go back to his word is so good. I've learned so much, and I'm going to read it again. It's good. All right. Let me wrap up with 1 Peter 4.12. And then just encourage you, most of us are not going to experience deep persecution in our lives, but some will. Some are. Most of us, when we talk about being persecuted, people are going to roll their eyes when we say that if they're aware of anything that's going on in the world. But we can still follow the way of Jesus. We can still hunger and thirst for righteousness. How do we do right by people? How do we do right by God? We can still do that. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If that happens, it's good. We still have Jesus we're sharing in the exact same things He shared. And His Spirit is upon us. But we don't seek it out. But if it seeks us out, we don't run away. We have found the pearl of great price. just pray with me? Father, I don't know the story of everyone in this room. I don't know what's going on in their families, in their workplaces, with their friends and neighbors, or maybe friends who used to be friends and maybe not so much anymore. I don't know the level of persecution of every person within this room. I only know my own. And I know that I have been spared. Father, if that time comes, Father, I pray that we would know that being with You in the midst of persecution is better than any alternative. There is nowhere else for us to go What once we've seen what we've seen. Father, I pray that You would open our eyes through the lens of how do we love others the way You would love others. Not just the way people want to be loved, but the way You want us to love. Father, I pray that You would give us wisdom and discernment to see within our own hearts and within our own lives when have we ourselves persecuted others. When have we differentiated? When have we excluded? When have we reviled and uttered all kinds of evil against others? When have we even at times been physically abusive or emotionally abusive? Father, I pray that You would forgive us for so completely missing what it means to know and follow Jesus. Fathers, we hear story after story of just churches acting badly and leaders acting badly. I pray that you would help us to act well. Help us to remember the good things that you are doing in our communities, in our in our families, and in our lives. Father, help us to follow you faithfully, because we have truly found something great in you. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.